Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to The Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy, at Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com, where there'll be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. Do you like your stories told through pictures? Then you can also follow us at Real Nerds on Instagram. You can also call us, 720-6Nerds5. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Camera, action! Well, a real nerd knows who shot, and a real nerd can follow the plot, and a real nerd can... Just talk film! I'm sorry. Take it outside. All right, good morning, Denver, Colorado. If you're within the sound of my voice, this is the creator stage. It is the heart and soul of the content creator community all weekend long we've got an army of podcasters youtubers content creators who are going to be broadcasting their show right here from fan expo kicking things off on what i think is going to be the best day of our consecutive lives on the stage right now for over 10 years and more than 500 episodes Denver's Real Nerds Podcast has gone to a new movie each week and podcasted their experiences to the world, that and a whole lot more. Denver, huge round of applause right now for the Real Nerds Podcast. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. you guys Thanks for bad. that intro. <laughs> no, um, no, please sit, sit. Yeah, please. Really. Whoa, 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 back up. Whoa, they're, they're There's throwing, seats for everybody, guys. <laughs> they're, they're throwing their clothes at us. This is like a Motley Crue concert. Uh, I'm Ryan. With me is Brad. Hey. And Zach. Hello. But we're really here with a comic book legend. A comic book legend, Denver. So you should come and be here at the creator stage. Legends report to the pavilion for the real nerds. <laughs> yes. Uh, we are sitting with comic book artist extraordinaire, Georges Genty. Thank you, sir, for being on our show. You are welcome. And I I'm here up until the real legend shows up. No, so you'll have to deal with me. He is a legend. Um, you have been illustrating, drawing comics for how long now? Uh, professionally, uh, over 25 years. Wow. I hate that it dates me like that, but yes. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking it really dates us, too, because uh, insider baseball here, uh, George's was one of our first celebrity guests we've ever had. Oh, yeah? Ten years really? ago. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, been a treat. Every time you're here, you sit down with us and you regale us with wonderful stories. And I really appreciate your time today on the busiest day of the well, con. I, I am nothing if not regaling. Oh, you know, I was going to say it, and I did. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to kind of go through your career. And I also, on the screens out here, you can see I've pulled some of my favorite covers or uh -huh. artwork you've done. Um, and pray tell, are we going to speak on these covers? We are. Mm. So, <laughs> this is your life. This is your life. <laughs> so, sorry, I, he's not Ralph Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> I, like many people, loved a show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And when it ended, I thought it was a fitting end, but I always wanted more. 
and well, that's when you watched Angel and yeah, got the rest I, of it. Then I got Angel, and then it ended with them running towards a demon. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. And um, wanting to slay the dragon or something. Exactly. But lo and behold, a few years later, my local comic shop had Buffy the Vampire Slayer season eight uh, coming out in comic book form. Uh, can you take us through the beginning genesis of that project? Uh, sure, very quickly, because it, it really was a longer process than it, it should have been. But uh, essentially, Joss Whedon, who, of course, is a big comic book fan, he, a couple of years, Buffy went off the air in 2007, and a couple of years after that, I'm sorry, yeah, 2007, was it? Three. No, 2003. Three. Yeah. Oh, I, I did it in 2007. Yes. <laughs> it's been so long, I don't even remember. So it goes off the air, and a few years later, Joss really has that pang for wanting to do more Buffy. And he felt, well, it's never going to be another TV show, but it could conceivably be a comic book. And I believe he was doing uh, the, uh, what was he, the X-Men. He was doing an X-Men at the yeah, time. Yeah, the, the X-Men one with Kitty Pride and Colossus. Right, right. And he thought, man, this would be a really great way to redo some more Buffy or revisit that whole thing. So he did it, and Dark Horse, of course, was already publishing it. And he was just very into it. It would took to finding an artist. He didn't know me, but the way serendipity works, he was actually reading a book that I was doing at the time called uh, The American Way. And when called to the editor, he said, well, who are we going to get to draw this? Joss says, I don't know this guy, but I really like this book. Can we maybe get him? And the guy, uh, Scott Alley, who was the editor for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, goes and reaches out to me and asks me, of course, hey, would you like to do this book? And I, of course, thought he was joking because whoever gets that call that says, hey, Joss Whedon really loves your work, he wants you to work on this book. And after a few go-arounds um, of me not believing Scott, I, t I uh, charged him to say, well, if it's real, then have Joss get in touch with me. <laughs> That's bold. And, uh, that was very bold. And the very next email, it was Joss Whedon saying, hi, I'm really Joss. I really want you to work. And the next following email was me eating a lot of humble pie <laughs> and apologizing and, of course, accepting the gig, which have, you know, changed my career. Yeah, because I'm kind of embarrassed. I didn't. I knew of your work because I collect comics for so long, mm -hmm. but I'll never forget. Um, if you look on the screens, um, when Buffy was released, they had what they call the A cover, and this was. They really didn't do this as much back then, but Dark Horse was a little more uh, forward thinking. This they used to do photo covers and then a, an art, artist one, right? And the original uh, cover was great, but there's something about this cover of Buffy almost being eaten by a demon and holding the mouth open that really grabbed me and well yeah right off the bat joss wanted to show something that he could never have done on the tv show and while there were a plethora of demons on the show they were all pretty much of human size i mean there were a few that were obviously cgi'd but this was joss's intent at least in so far as he was telling me i really want this to look like we have an unlimited budget so make these monsters big, make them menacing, make them threatening. And, uh, and that's pretty much what I came up with. In my naivete, though, <laughs> on this cover still stands a, um, an Easter egg that a lot of people don't know. But uh, in my naivete, Joss was very big on not mixing the world of Firefly and the world of Buffy together. I didn't know this when I did this cover. So I thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if Buffy was wearing a t-shirt from Serenity. 
And I don't know how it got past Joss, because when we talked about it later, he was like, yeah, had I seen that, that would have never flown. Um, but to this day, that was the one mashup that I've ever done that had to do with Firefly, a book which I later did as well, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, yeah, I, when I saw this on the shelf, I immediately went to my comic store and I changed my poll from the A cover to all of your <laughs> covers. Because just, I mean, the... You can tell just by your art how much he's struggling to fight, and it just looks badass. Right, and no disregard to uh, to the A covers. Those no, are no, great, no. great They're covers. They're great, too. But there's something about traditional comic art that grabs me. Yeah. And I think that's just me being a comic book fan for as long as I have been one, that the pencil and the ink and then the colors just grab me more than digital yeah. stuff. And I think that's kind of how they wanted to do that. Joe Chen, who did the regular covers, had a more realistic style. And uh, Dark Horse felt that a lot of people who are going to read Buffy have probably never read comic books before. So they wanted to say, why don't we appease them by having a more realistic uh, cover and then more a classic cover for the people who actually collect comic books. So that, that's me. <laughs> um, the, the next one is an issue you actually did not draw the interiors for. No, yeah. But I actually think is one of the best single issues I've ever read. It is, yeah. Um, it's called The Chain. However, your cover is a little spoiler-ish if you read it, <laughs> but what it conveys is awesome. Yeah, there's a great backstory to that. I mean, I was doing this with a, um, a flag, Montgomery Flags, uh, I Want You, uh, the um, service propaganda poster of many, many years ago, and in it, Joss okayed it, and we'd said, hey, yeah, let's put the other girl in front. And we're going to go with the, uh, the quote, I want you, because that's what's in the actual poster from Flag. And I was like, Joss, maybe there's something more, because as it stands, she's not being enlisted into the military. So wh what do you think? May should we say something else or should we do something else? And he said, give me a minute. And he, he goes away and I, I get an email maybe two hours later. And he's like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to keep the I want you, but below that put I want you to be strong. And that just solidified anybody who knows anything about Slayers. That's really one of their uh, uh, codes of ethics is to be strong. And that just, to me, I said, this is why you are who you are. Because I would have never come up with that. And I don't know anybody who else would have come up with something like that. And that just is a testament to his genius, I thought. Because the, 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 the story is, and I, I mean, I guess it's been out for 15 years. I can spoil yeah, it. A little bit. Um, it's they they have a bunch of slayers. They at the end of Buffy, she gave all potential slayers a slayer power, and in this, you're following someone who you believe is Buffy, mm -hmm. and at the end, she dies. Yeah, and it so it takes this really dark turn and about the sacrifice that they make, and that just emphasizes I want you to be strong, because who, who in a very funny way in an Angel episode called Girl Interrupted, there are. Uh, various Buffy's that are, are roaming around the world and it is made mention of this girl of course this is years before this book comes out but she is made mention of many many years before and this is just sort of a coming to fruition thing that you if you've been around for many many years you you got that sort of ending for her so you also worked with more than one writer on this run and one I didn't 
put in here, but Jeff Loeb did like a oh, yeah. cartoon style, yeah. which he did a great cover for too. Well, because Jeff Loeb was supposed to do the animated Buffy series when that was supposed to come out originally, and he had already written that episode and then converted it into the comic book and used, if I'm not mistaken, one of the artists who was supposed to illustrate the animation. Very cool. And if anybody out there is walking by and is like, I have a question for Georges, please just stop, raise your hand, and, and yell at us. All right. Could you not talk so loud? Yeah, Thank please, you. please, please, everybody out there, everybody, please. Uh, this next one I, I really love because, in a way, um, it's you homaging and also taking from, I want to, it's Lichtenstein, right? Yeah, Lichtenstein. Yeah, yeah who, he's a German. Who took previously produced comic book. Mm -hmm. art and made it pop art right so it's i call it licked and stolen <laughs> and so i like that you kind of reclaimed it on this right yeah i was i'm in my career and, and i collect comics also and i always loved it when somebody did some sort of a homage cover it didn't necessarily have to be of another artist or whatever but when it was like a movie homage or something like that i always thought wow that's really clever and I, I was beside myself, and I was very happy that Joss was okay with it, but I was beside myself to put it up or make it happen anytime I could or where I thought it was appropriate. And in this case, I, I, we could argue that maybe I, I did it a little too much in the run of season eight, but I look back fondly on those covers, and I, I haven't had one complaint. Anybody who recognizes what the cover is has never really complained, oh, my God, you did too many of them. So I was very happy to include a wide range of influences, and this one being Liechtenstein, uh, to illustrate the heartbreak. Because literally in the story, this is the first time Buffy finds that Xander and Dawn have been seeing each other. And, and, it, and it grows from there. Um, but I think it's what's really cool about the covers that you pay homage to is you recognize it immediately. Yeah. You know, yeah. I... I uh, I obviously I didn't include them all in here, but I also you have a Hobgoblin one, yes, and uh, you have an X Men one. Actually, you have two. Yeah. You have the one where she's walking away with just Cyclops, yes, Cyclops leaving the X Men. Yeah. yeah, and also I want to point to the the lettering and the font on here. So, were you aware of where they were going to put that, and when you laid this out? Well, that was another big thing for me. I, I'm a completist. When I look at a cover, I like to see the whole thing, and, and honestly, I loved it when they would do the word balloons on the actual page. So most of those uh, logos, I, I actually did by hand. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. See? I did the, the Nick Fury one oh, by hand sweet. and, uh, oh, a bunch of them, yeah. See, after 10 years, I still learned something new. <laughs> and if you're wondering why he's a legend, because he knows this stuff and he can, <laughs> because, I mean, do you have that memory recall when you read a, a script and you go, you know what? I can pull this uh, Lichten stolen cover and I can reclaim it for comic book people, and it fits for this particular no, story. I mean, I'm no Mozart. I, I have a lot of <laughs> reference books, and I just got to go through books, or, or I guess nowadays people go through the internet. But I do have in my studio. I have a lot of books, and when something, when you get the germ of an idea, it sort of points you in a direction, and you go down this rabbit hole, and usually that's where it leads me. Because you even got like the Romita ness of it yeah, that yeah. I, I adore. Mm -hmm. um, John Romita for all those comic book people out there. Uh, senior, by the way. The senior, correct. Yeah. Uh, the next one, I think people will recognize immediately. Um, Action Comics number one is maybe the most iconic cover of all time. Probably. Uh, that Amazing Fantasy 15. Um, but 
this uh, is definitely an homage to that. Yes, and it was because it's probably the most iconic cover in comics that I, I, I felt remiss if we didn't at least attempt to put it in there at some point. And this was a good place to do it because in this storyline, Buffy actually gets her strength. She gets more strength than a Slayer is supposed to have. And to illustrate that, um, funny, funny enough, Joss and I had a conversation when I first took on Buffy. I asked him, well, how strong is she? Can, you know, can she lift up a building? Can she fly, you know, bounds? And, and he's like, no, she's not Superman strength, but she's more Spider-Man strength. And Spider-Man could lift up a car, but he probably couldn't throw it very far. And I thought, well, given our day and age, and now that Buffy's a little bit stronger, maybe lifting up a car wouldn't be as dramatic. So I thought, well, maybe lifting up a locomotive, because now she is faster than a locomotive. <laughs> um, I thought it was a really good idea. And those colors in her dress are intentional because we wanted to keep the red, blue, and yellow of Superman. Even to the extent of her chest, her blouse has a little V uh, diamond in it. And is that when you work with the colorist to let them know that? Yeah, that was something I, I, I wanted to intend because I, I did her, she's wearing a jacket and the jacket I wanted to superimpose as a cape. I couldn't put a cape on her, of course, because then that would look stupid. <laughs> uh, and then with the, with the people surrounding her, I just sort of, Joss Wheaton, before he cut his hair off, I put him in there and I put the editor, Scott Alley, and I thought for good measure, you know, we have to keep the race relations good on good terms. <laughs> I put myself in there too. <laughs> So those three people have actual stakes in that book, creative-wise. And there's a, the, the, you know, Buffy in Action Comics font. And in Action Comics, yes. That one, that was done by the, uh, by the company. I didn't, I didn't do that one by hand. I, <laughs> I mentioned it, but it just seemed obvious, too, to do it in, uh, in that font. Heck, yeah. The next one is a comic I actually stumbled across on accident. Because mm. um, one of my favorite things is to go to a comic store and just flip through comics. And again, you'd think I'd you know, know all your stuff, but what I love about your work and why I picked this one is as I was flipping through Batwoman, I saw this and I immediately knew it was you. Oh yeah? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, so take us through the process of designing this because obviously Clayface is grabbing her. Yeah, this was at a point in Batwoman's career or in, in this, the series of the book where they were trying to pair her up in a group setting. I don't know if the sales or what was going on exactly, but they wanted her to be in a group. And I cannot for the life of me remember now what that group was supposed to be called. But it was supposed to be Clayface, uh, her sister, whose name escapes me, um, and a couple of other guys. Uh, Rag Ragman, yep. I think. And yep. I'm trying to see who else is in there. Um, well, a bunch of people, sort of the, <laughs> the ragtag team is how they were thinking of it of which Batwoman was going to be the leader of, the reluctant leader, because she is a, a military, paramilitary, and she very much likes working alone. Uh, and this was going to be the crux of the series, how these deviants can actually get along and work together. And that was, yeah, that was a cover I thought was really good. I actually got to ink that cover too, which I didn't get to do oh, a whole nice. lot. You know, and I, I love your Batwoman run, because I think she started finding the voice for the character yeah, around then. Yeah, I, I, centered a lot more on bat on the woman rather than the bat in this case because being a, a lesbian and a former uh, marine i thought that's so much more interesting 
yes, I mean, it's nice to see her running around in costume, but that's where people are going to be hooked on. And I think that's a tribute to your work, too, because it's shown in a superhero comic here. But if you look at something like The American Way or something you did last year, two years ago, The Shadow Doctor. Oh, yeah. Which is a true story, but there's no superheroes in it. But you're telling a story that is compelling about a gangster's doctor. (laughs) And it's just a stunning piece of work. And I think that's why your Batwoman run stands out to me is because you stripped her of, per se, the the costume, and let's explore as she is. Yeah, I had a lot of fun doing that. I must admit I wasn't on it long enough to really find... You know, I think everybody who does a book, you sort of... I think anything you do that it's consecutive, you, it takes a while for you to find your groove, like, your, you know, where you get comfortable with... Just like a marriage. You know, when you just first married, you're sort of still feeling each other out. And that was me with Batwoman. I was really trying to feel out the character. And I, regrettably, I don't think I was on her long enough to really have gotten to know her, to do her you know, more of a subliminal thing. Do you think that as you've, even though you're away from the property now, do you still like work on the character on your own time and find your groove within that? I, I still think about the character, but I don't necessarily work on it because, of course, other creators have now come and done whatever they do. So I don't like to sort of stay stuck in a certain area. Right. But right. I do feel if I'm leafing through a comic sometimes, whether or not they've gotten it right, yeah. in my opinion, or whether they're like, no, that's a that's not a direction I would have gone in. You still have the ability to play that what-if game for yourself, which is nice. <laughs> I do. I mean, I like the character. I, I've liked most every character I've done, Bishop and Gambit and all those guys, I still think of fondly and really miss doing the book. I'm very thankful to never really have been on a book that I just hated and wanted to do it for the money and just get it done and get it out. So I've been very passionate about most of the characters I've done. Well, and your Bishop run was like when he started transitioning too, I think from kind of a side character yeah. to, hey, this is a really cool mutant that yeah. we can have. Yeah, well, he really started to transition from a, an Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator character into something that really became his own. Like, who is this guy? This, because for so long, I don't think he even had a first name. Yep. <laughs> he was just that background character that was, you know, from the Terminator type of a thing. And, yeah, when, when we started to do it, unfortunately, the, the tale that was told was much more of a Lord of the Rings tale, and I don't think it centered too much on Bishop himself. But you could definitely see that there were pangs of his individuality coming through. And I really tried to emphasize that in, in the way he dressed and the way he stood and the way he just was looking. It may not be, have been in the script, but it was something I was conscious of as I was drawing it. You know, I agree 100% because when I think of Bishop, I used to collect comic book cards. And he was always, like, running and had a gun shooting. and With his uh, mouth open and mean. With his mouth open. And you gave, you, you'd stripped him kind of of that and gave him... Yeah, the only thing I regret, I have to tell you, the only thing I regret about that book that I did that I shouldn't have done was I should have given him eyeballs. I kept his eyes white because I was always... Every time I saw him, he never had yeah. pupils. And I, I should have given him pupils because, of course, nothing is as expressive as the eyes. And I, I really feel like I've missed out on an opportunity to be more expressive with that character by giving him pupils. Uh, the next thing I have up is something that's not out yet. Oh. Um, so uh, everybody calm down. It'll be out soon, okay? Is this the way? This is the way. Um, you are 
drawing the adaptation of The Mandalorian yes. season one. Yes. And I can tell right away, it's what I love about your work. I have spaceships. <laughs> I have likenesses of Carl Weathers, but in comic book style. Uh-huh. And then The Mandalorian looks badass in it. I, th I think you've captured it well. Yeah, we are doing the adaptions from the Disney Plus show. And I had a very big question when they first asked me to. And I was curious if they just wanted screen captures of the episodes because that's not really me. I thought, this is great, and I love these adaptions because as a comic book fan, I loved you know, the Star Wars adaptions or the, you know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark adaptions or any of those really, the Alien adaption, any of those really good adaptions. And I thought, if we want to make it look like a comic book, then I'm in. But if all you guys wanted were screen caps, then I would have passed on it. And they were like, no, I mean, the key scenes, let's try to keep it as accurate as possible. But essentially, yes, bring the Mandalorian into the comic book world. Don't bring the comic book into the TV episode, if that makes sense. I love hearing that. And how did you land this job? Did they see your Serenity book and go, this guy can draw spaceships? No, I have no clue. <laughs> Honestly, I was, I was doing... Um, some fill-in issues to the Star Wars High Republic uh, for Marvel already. And I, I really do believe in serendipity. I hate to say it because, you know, people think you're so romantic or it's just it's a non-answer. But it really is being in the right place at the right time, knowing when your moment is going to come. And quite frankly, I think I did a good enough job filling in on the High Republic where they were looking at the powers that be at Marvel were looking at saying, hey, we need this. We've got a schedule, but we need somebody who's not going to flake out. And lo and behold, they came to me, I assume. Not so much that I'm such a great artist, but they knew that I could actually get the job done. And, and something like this, though, you, I, you told me yesterday that it's 30 pages, so it's eight pages longer. Yes, oversized. Well, Marvel Comics now are 20 pages oh, wow. on an average. And, yeah, so it's about 10 pages more per book on this series. So you already get more value for it. And, but did Serenity help you with this in, in understanding space and drawing ships? Or are the worlds so different that it's irrelevant? Um, no, but I, I see the similarities, and you're right on that level. Uh, doing Serenity maybe consciously didn't help me, but unconsciously probably it's a, it's a very telling thing when you have to design for space because, of course, space is space. It's just yeah. a big black void. And in that, you have to get creative. And I think I did a lot of my creativity in Serenity that I did bring to Star Wars, uh, to The Mandalorian. But funny enough, a lot of it has been on planets, so we haven't really seen a ton of the Falcon Crest in space. But when we do, I do, if, when the book comes out, I do try to keep those pages very unified to let you know that this is space and this is a situation, this is a scene that's happening in space in a creative way. And are, have you drawn all the issues already? I am starting issue six. It wow. is now July 1st or whatever we are now. And I am on Second. the sixth issue. Seventh. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're just waiting for it to come out. And I know it keeps on getting delayed. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping that's a good thing, that there's yeah. so much anticipation they want to hold off and just blow their wad <laughs> all at once. <laughs> well, I blame, I, I blame the new uh, shipping company on it. Oh, is that it? I, I yeah. have no idea on that app. Because the, the previews have had the same comics in it for a couple months. Oh, really? Yeah, so I think they're having an, an issue because they switched to 
Penguin Random House and went away from uh, previews or diamonds. Gotcha, gotcha. And so um, I, I, I want to say that's it. Or they're ordering so many that they had to print more. I want to go with that one. I, that's I, good. I, I like that one, yeah. too. Although, it really, as a fan, too, it, it is such a humbling thing because a lot of what I'm doing, oh, you know, I get to draw Cara Dune. I get to draw Fennec Shand. I get to draw, you know, uh, Grief and all these other characters that I'm a big fan of the TV show as well. So when we get to those episodes, I'm always so excited and I'm, I'm giddy looking for reference of those characters. And on The Mandalorian, his helmet looks awesome how you draw it. Because that, to me, is really important in the character. Yeah, that has been the hardest thing, too. Because you have to make it look cool all the time, right? Well, not even that so <laughs> much, but, I mean, take this into consideration. In the script, it says The Mandalorian is, is looking at him angrily. <laughs> the Mandalorian is looking at him passively. The Mandalorian is rolling his eyes. It's the same image every time because there is no expression. And, of course, that's the coolness of his, you know, uh, cowboy with no name type essence. But it has been a challenge to try and integrate what he's feeling with just the mask. So how do you do that? Do you do it in his body posture? Uh, I don't know because sure. I'm not an artist because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not talented. Sure. Uh, I'll go with that one. I try, actually, I do try to use angles. Like, they're in, in storytelling, certain angles will tell a certain story. Like, from a high above angle, it seems very detached. Or when you're looking at something from a low angle, it may seem a little more ominous. And those things I've tried to incorporate when it's appropriate. But, yeah, it's been very difficult because there is no facial expression. And that's what we as human beings identify with. We don't ident that's why we don't identify with animals unless they're anthropomorphic. Because they're not doing anything. So in this case, I've tried very hard. Um, but, I mean, the character speaks for himself. So, uh, Anybody who just sat down have any questions for Comic Legend? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Guys, guys, please. No, it's not about me. Don't step on each other. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of room for everybody. One All at right. a time. <laughs> um, the next one I have, you mentioned it, is Star Wars High Republic. Yes. With a totally badass creature and a badass Jedi. Yes, yes. And how did this come about? Uh, how did that come about? I was doing some work at Marvel. I think I just finished The Extinction, which was a mini-series for Marvel that I did with the sort of side uh, uh, X-Men uh, that they used and put in a, a, a non-group, essentially, for a few issues. And from there, again, just I don't know what Angel is on my shoulder looking <laughs> over me, but they asked me, Marvel asked. I think the editor, the assistant editor of The Extinction was also the assistant editor on the uh, Star Wars stuff. And he was asking, hey, we need a couple of fill-ins. Are you wanting to come over? And of course, I mean, you can't say no to Star Wars is, is yeah. my thing. Yeah. So I said, yes, of course. And I went from there and it's like puddle jumping. You go from here to here to here and hopefully you get to uh, bigger puddles. That's awesome. And then the creature in the back is very intricate. Yeah, I don't know what the hell that is, to be honest <laughs> with you. I didn't, I, since I only did fill-ins, I only have fragments of the story. Is that a hard assignment to be a fill-in artist? Yeah, because you're supposed to come in and actually keep the essence of what's already being told and continue it forward. But when you're sitting here going, I have no clue what happened. Oh, here, read the book and all that. And that's fine, but... You have to rely on a lot of reference and hopefully a good editor uh, or editors in this case that can steer you into the right direction because you are representing 
these images and they should be able to tell you if you've got it right or wrong. Does the Marvel way still exist where you get a, just an outline of a script and you have to draw it and then they... For the most part, no, and, you, and you're right. That was the Marvel way where they just get a, a paragraph for a page and you would go on from there. I think, and more so because of Star Wars, there are many eyes that have to look at Star Wars before it ever gets to print. So I assume that they want every, every I and every T and every dot dotted before it goes to print. Um, so everything has to be out there. All the, uh, all the dialogue, all the words, um, the descriptions, and the artwork, God help me. I have gone through so many revisions on The Mandalorian, and it's not from Marvel, it's from Lucasfilm. Because once it goes from Marvel, it goes to Lucasfilm, and they have to look at it, and they will say, no, that leg is a little too big, or no, that character actually has braided hair that falls over her right shoulder, not her left shoulder. So little things wow. like that, which seem superfluous and you're probably right lucasfilm takes a look at that with their property and is very very picky about it but i mean i guess that's why it's so great though is because they have that quality control that's one way of putting it yeah <laughs> we'll go with that one uh the last one i have is for me um you did this awesome spider-man yeah. against doc ock and I don't even know where this is from. Is it from your sketchbook? That is from nothing. Honestly, then to show you how old this is, a friend of me, me, the anchor and the colorist are all friends. And we had never actually done a print together. And we just said, hey, why don't we do something? Yeah, why don't we do something together? And we can sell it at a show. And this was right before... Which, which Spider-Man movie had Doc Ock in it? Uh, Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2. This was right before Spider-Man wow. 2. So that's how old that is. Because I, I just, honestly, I typed in uh, your name and Spider-Man, and that's yeah. the first thing that popped up. Yeah, never professionally worked on him, but this was a print that I had done. Is there a character that you have not worked on professionally that you want to work on? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, you know, loving the Marvel Universe growing up, there are all of those B characters, you know, Luke Cage and the Falcon and uh, Morbius. I was a fiend for Morbius. I would love to have worked on those. But I think I learned the most I've ever learned about comics reading Frank Miller's Daredevil. And that was always sort of a, a, an unintentional goal is to do a Daredevil book, but do it very much in the style of Frank Miller of that era. Do you think they could still do a Daredevil book like Frank Miller did back then? I mean, it really, and when I say a Frank Miller book, I, I really just mean the storytelling. Okay. So yes, I think you could still do that. Um, as good as it is, well, that's up to the writer. You know, Are we ever going to get another Alan Moore in our time? I don't know, but I have my fingers crossed. Who is your favorite comic book writer working right now? Working right now. God, that's a good question because I, I am sad to say I read a lot, but I don't pay attention a lot. <laughs> um, and the writers escape me for the most part. Uh, I, I really would have to come back to that because I can't think of one. Who do I, you find yourself uh, rereading the most then at this point? I hate to say it. I reread the classics very much. I'll, I'll reread Watchmen, the Daredevil issues, all of that stuff, a lot of the, I mean, Walt Simonson's Thor run, I've never liked Thor or Asgard, and he gave me a love for it that has persisted to this day. So I, maybe I'm old school these days, but that's the stuff I really love. So you're working on The Mandalorian, 
Is that the only thing you got going on right now? Uh, the only thing, well, again, because it's so many pages <laughs> and so time consuming, it's the only thing I can do right now. I did that um, Shadow Doctor while I was doing The Mandalorian Holy also. Cow. And it was, yeah, I, I, I was almost having to be admitted in the hospital. I don't even know how you did that because one, they're totally two different books. Yes. Because in Shadow Doctor, it takes place in the 30s. Yeah. And so you have to get that time period right mm -hmm. and then you have to go to a long time ago in a galaxy far <laughs> far, far, far away. away but it's futuristic uh -huh. how does your brain work because that sounds really hard not not well apparently because <laughs> i couldn't keep that up for sure uh, but you know you it's like asking an actor how do you play a good guy how do you play a bad guy because i'm an actor i know how yeah. to do that as an artist you know you understand what those elements are for what you're doing and you just put them forward. Like I said, I'm very big on reference, too. So I will reference a lot of stuff when I'm doing a book. Uh, and The Mandalorian isn't any different. I'll, I'll reference a lot of the TV show and a lot of sci-fi uh, books that I like. Stuart Immerman, who did a Star Wars story, I, he was one of those books I kept close. Uh, Travis Charez, who loves to do uh, sci-fi stuff, I kept his stuff very close when doing The Mandalorian also. So... Thank you for being up here. We You're really welcome. appreciate it. Um, tell all these people where we can uh, find you. Yeah, I am on social media. I've got a website. It's kabalounge.com, K-A-B-A-L-O-U-N-G-E.com. And I've got a LinkedIn tree there that takes me to all my social media and whatnot. So please come by. And I'm at Pro Booth uh, number 21, I think, or against the wall. Where all the cool artists are at. Where all the cool, expensive artists are. <laughs> well, we're, this is the coolest one here. George, thank you for being on our show. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. Thanks to people that were out here. We appreciate uh, the it. The one or two of you <laughs> yeah. that were out here. Yeah. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. And have fun at Denver Fan Expo. Yay. 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 Also, uh, our booth is oh, right yeah. across from the Creator stage. <laughs> and uh, we have our own recording set up. So... If you're just a fan of uh, Denver Fan Expo and you just want to talk about anything at all, stop at our booth and we'll record it and we'll put it on our show. Oh, you like really cool-looking microphones. <laughs> Go over there and give them a look. Exactly. They're red. Not black, red. Because we're, we're different. <laughs> Huge round of applause, Denver, to the Real Nerds Podcast. We are just kicking things off. Look at that. Listen to that applause. Listen to them. Well, a real nerd knows who shot a real nerd. Thanks for listening to Real Nerds Podcast, a Nebulous Visions production. Stream or download episodes, read articles at realnerdspodcast.com. Stream us on Apple or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. Follow us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. Twitter and Instagram, at Real Nerds. Watch us on YouTube, Real Nerds Podcast. Email us at realnerds at gmail.com. Call us at 720-6Nerds5. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill, Mike at Plan 9 Studios, and Bologna for all of our groovy theme songs. And that's how you fucking do it.